Welcome back to Club Excites Podcast. Today's podcast is about how to help your student navigate stress this fall. The Club Excite Podcast is a podcast connecting parents and professionals with the resources and ideas that they need to help their students reach their highest potential. Club Excite is based locally out of San Diego, California and offers innovative education solutions to families and students both in person and virtually all over the world. Being leaders in the field of innovative education, Club Excite strives to provide multidisciplinary solutions for students struggling academically, socially, emotionally, and behaviorally. Club Excite offers tutoring, coaching, and licensed professional therapy in both group and one-on-one settings. If after listening to this podcast, you have any questions about the type of services that are offered and how those services could potentially benefit your student, feel free to find Club Excite on social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram, or by visiting our website, clubexcite.com. That's C-L-U-B-X-C-I-T-E dot com. Today's podcast is about how to help your student navigate stress this fall. Right. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much to Meredith Gleason for joining us today. My name is Jocelyn Burke. I'm the Executive Director at Club Excite. And today we're going to be talking with Meredith. Meredith is a licensed educational psychologist. She works both with her own business, Empower Child Learning, as well as the school district. And she also works with us here at Club Excite to support our families as well. So we're super excited to have her on for the second time talking about navigating stress with students. So Meredith, I wanted to start out by just asking you if there's anything you want to share about you or your background for our families to know. Sure. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be back on. Um, I so enjoy working with Club Excite and, and you, Jocelyn and, and David and everyone in the company has just been fantastic. Um, so a little bit about me um, and my background. I've been in education for, um, this is my 14th year. And so um, I was a teacher previously, and then I've been um, in, this, in the psychology realm for the past 10 years. And um, I'm really passionate about supporting students, um, helping families get access to resources, um, have, if their children have a disability, having it identified so we can use that information to drive our intervention. Um, so as a licensed educational psychologist, I um, diagnose. And so some areas of specialty that I diagnose in are dyslexia, autism, ADHD, and anxiety. Uh, and so um, I do assessments primarily, as well as um, counseling, which is another component to help support students with, with um, mental health needs, whether it's learning coping strategies, how to manage feelings, um, how to advocate for themselves as they navigate life with um, having a mental health disability. And then I do consultation support for parents. Um, as Jocelyn mentioned, I've, I've worked in the schools for quite some time and I have a very thorough understanding of um, the process and getting support for your child if you feel like their needs aren't being met. Um, so I'm familiar with um, things like 504s and IEPs. So I help parents kind of coach them on what resources they could look into for their child and how to advocate for their child in the school setting. And um, that's been very relevant right now with everything going on with COVID-19 <laughs> and stress. 
Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. I think part of why we love collaborating with Meredith so much is because of your amazing background that you have in both education and in more of the counseling clinical world, which is really where we strive to support students is in that intersection. Um, so yeah, we're going to get deeper into some of the tools and resources that she has in a moment, but I want to start out by just addressing some of the stressors that our students are experiencing right now because this is a really stressful time. Fall 2020 is different than anything we've ever experienced and I'm noticing a lot of stressors in students just you know our families that are coming in and, and students that I work with personally but I'm curious to know what are some of the major stressors you're seeing that students are facing right now? Um, well yeah there's definitely a lot going on and I think all of us have a heightened level of anxiety right now um, and we should, it's a pandemic, things are different, things are changed. Um, one of the biggest stressors I see families going through is the changes that are happening, the domino effect of the pandemic and COVID-19. Um, and you know, that stress can manifest differently from, from child to child and um, from you know, situation to situation as things have changed. Um, you know, a pandemic is a significant event um, and it's, you know, we're all kind of in this traumatic state because of this significant event. All of our lives have been changed to some degree. And so for children, um, when they're in an experience like this, their um, reaction or um, how they cope through this time can look very different depending on the degree and the significance their life has changed by COVID-19. So um, for some families, um, the transition to remote, le remote learning has been very challenging, um, especially with homes with parents that are both working. My husband and myself both work and I have a child um, and one on the way. So I, um, you know, understand that that's a, a very real and day-to-day -day, um, challenge that families face. Um, and then I also think just being able to go from this in-person learning experience that we all kind of were used to and knew how to get our needs met. Now we're, you know, working um, and doing school from home and our needs aren't being met and we're having to relearn how to do everything. So um, that learning new systems, learning new ways to get what we need takes time. Um, and it, and the interim of while we're learning those things can be incredibly stressful. Our minds can only handle so many new things at once and we have been overwhelmed with new information and new, new strategies, new ways of doing you know, everything. Um, even schools that are open in person, um, what the school district I work for has their schools going back in person and just even the basic way a child goes to school, leaves school, how they come in and out of the classroom, how they do recess and lunch looks very different. So whether your child is at home learning online or they're in back in school, um, there's a huge learning curve, which creates a significant amount of stress for everyone. Yeah, that's huge. I noticed too that I think a lot of the stressors our students are experiencing are from the, the new ways that they have to do things, but also from the stress of what they can't do that they're usually used to doing. Yeah. I had a student week or two ago is coaching and he was just so upset that he couldn't see his friends as he used to be able to and that was so stressful for him that he was losing focus in school and all these other things were happening because he's extroverted and his needs aren't being met in those ways so yeah I think that's it's so interesting just the different stressors that are coming out of this common experience yeah so I, yeah um, go ahead. I think that's a great point because um what we're 
what comes with new things is giving up the old, the old things or something we were used to and relied on. And so then you have to find new coping strategies to replace the ones you can't access, like the perfect example you gave of, of, of a student wanting to access his friends in the way he used to. Now he has to find a different way to do that. So those quick, easy coping strategies we used to rely on aren't always available. And then that further elevates the stress level. Um, and when they're not replaced with something healthy and appropriate, that often opens the door for negative coping strategies to come into play. Um, and that can further stress the situation. Yeah. And so what are you noticing as far as trauma right now? I know that I've heard some people talk about this, that some of what we're experiencing is traumatic and, and certain people are experiencing it as trauma. How would you define that in the relationship to the experience that we're, we're commonly having right now? So we are in a state of, you know, a traumatic event, this pandemic. So one thing that's really been hard, I think, for families is that we're not out of it yet. So um, sometimes with trauma, if it is a trauma that um, is continuing on, such as the pandemic, um, it's hard to know the degree of, um, you know, kind of damage per se or long-term effects that are going to be become from this. And so that part, we still don't fully know yet. However, we have been in this, um, you know, COVID-19 pandemic for six months. And so um, usually it takes people about two months to get into a new routine and really get it down and really understand the ins and outs. Um, we've kind of had this back and forth with the school settings. So it's been really hard because we started online learning in March. Um, right around that two, three month mark, school was ending for a lot of kids. So they were getting used to it, then it ended. Then you have summer for two months, they're getting used to summer, then it ended. And now you're into the school year and it's not two months into the school year. So they're still learning all these new things and remote learning or in-school learning looks very different than it did during the school closures. So once again, we're asking our kids to continue to do new things and have an unreliable, um, you know, uh, environment that they're working through and figuring out how to navigate. So, um, you know, because it's been a six, six months duration, even though there's been all these changes, you might have noticed, like parents might have noticed characteristics in their children that um, are pretty significant and have gotten worse over time. Um, and that can be a sign that trauma, the trauma of the pandemic is significantly affecting them. And so that may manifest in significant anxiety, um, a fear of going places because of exposure or um, a fear of going places just because they haven't socialized with other students, um, especially children that have a history of having social skill issues or anxiety in the past. Um, and then also just being able to problem solve um, day to day. If you're really anxious, it's really hard to make a logical conclusion or decision on how to solve a problem. So a lot of times students kind of go into fight or flight mode where um, they sometimes react um, being irritated or non-compliant. Um, that's a sign of anxiety. Sometimes people think that's like a sign of anger or, um, you know, conduct disorder or oppositional defiance, but anxiety can very much be in fight mode. Um, you can have a child who is pushing back on boundaries, um, you know, not wanting to do their work, um, being non-compliant, whereas maybe a few months ago, pre-pandemic, they weren't like that. 
Um, and you can also have them shutting down that kind of flight mode where they're not doing their work, they're withdrawing from their environment. Um, and those are concerning. Um, and those are times where if you as a parent can try to do things to encourage them, and I know we're gonna get to tips in a little bit, but we'll encourage them to kind of um, support them and help them adjust to this new environment and make it less traumatic, give them support so they feel like they have tools. Um, you, you know, you wanna monitor as a parent, are they able to come out of that? Or are we still seeing these significant behaviors where we need further resources and support um, to address it? Yeah, I know that it affects everybody differently, right? And I know you mentioned the different types of examples of what that might look like based on different students. Um, but how would you think about it as far as like what a warranted response versus an unwarranted response is to what's happening right now? Well, I think for every kid, like you said, it is different. Um, but, um, you know, a warranted response um, might be something where, you know, they may have a, you know, kind of a big reaction to a small problem, which is very common when we're all in this stressed out state. Um, and it's really kind of what happens after that that is important. So um, when they're having a reaction that is atypical, um, you know, especially if it's an isolated event or you're seeing it like a little bit of patterns here and there, you wanna, you know, as a parent respond to it um, and provide, you know, options for a child to what to do instead, what we call like replacement behavior so if you have a child who's shutting down, crying, um, refusing to do something, you want to give them the option of taking a break. You want to give them um, ways to verbalize their feelings. Um, you want to give them structure, like a schedule, things like that. Reinforce, um, positively reinforce what you want them to do and, and break down a hard task for them so it feels more approachable. Um, and when you do those kind of things, if you have a child that's kind of having a typical response, giving them those tools and that structure and support usually means that their behavior will, um, you know, almost like a, a pot, it, it'll, it'll go back down, it won't boil over anymore. But when you have a child who is in a significant state of stress and the trauma of the pandemic may be eliciting um, some significant effects, Usually when you put those supports in place, the behavior still continues um, and you're seeing um, significant reactions to small problems. You're seeing ch um, your child withdraw from everyday activities or things they used to enjoy, um, just a lack of engagement. Um, those kind of things, if the problems are kind of getting worse, especially if they're getting worse or if they're kind of just plateauing and nothing's really working when you've altered the environment to support them, that's when it becomes a significant concern. I like that. That's a good way to define it. I noticed that it's, you know, a lot of times there's a, an experience and then if you supply a student with certain tools and, you know, it helps, then awesome, you can move through it. But if it's not helping the common traditional ways of supporting a student or helping, then that might be something that you seek additional support for, which I know we'll talk about in a moment. Um, so thinking about the different stressors that kids are experiencing right now, what are some basic tips like basic, basic things that parents can start with to start to see if the, the common tools and the common structures, as you mentioned, can actually help them. Yeah, definitely. So I kind of think of it in like three different um, areas. So one of the first areas that we, uh, I've been talking with parents a lot about um, is returning back to basics. So um, having, you're making sure your child 
whenever there's a state of trauma or stress, returning back to basics can be a very grounding point um, for families and the child um, who's feeling stressed. So making sure a child's getting enough sleep, making sure they have access to snacks and, and food on a regular basis, um, healthy, nutritious food as well. Um, making sure that, um, you know, little things like, um, you know, the temperature or, um, you know, um, their access to having water, those kind of basic needs are really being met. Um, and so, you know, you sleep, I know can be a tricky one, especially with the pandemic and our schedules can get kind of um, wonky, but, um, that's our brain's way of doing it's it every night we sleep, our brain does mental laundry. So it, it takes out, you know, the, the, the things that we need to keep and it takes it, it gets rid of the things we don't need anymore and so if you aren't getting that sleep um especially as a child whose brain is brain is growing um then you're kind of you're constantly working with a brain that is almost like an over overloaded basket of laundry it's just a mess you can't find what you need you can't get things going um a lot of times parents when their child sleep deprived they they have it's like their child is almost like significantly impaired, almost like they're, um, you know, sometimes people compare sleep deprivation to being, you know, under the influence of drugs or alcohol. They can't get what they need done. They can't start a task. They can't control their emotions. They can't organize themselves. So those basic needs of, um, are really important. Um, another area that's also really important is setting up a learning space. Um, and so I know for remote learning, that can be challenging because, um, you know, I know in my household, I have, you know, I'm working at home, my husband's working at home, we have our child as well. So it's, you know, sometimes space is hard to come by, but the more um, you can give your child a structured setup um, that they know is like their school zone or learning zone, um, a place where they organize at the beginning of the day, they organize it at the end of the day. Um, it's a school only area where there's only learning happening in this space. They dress the part. You really emphasize with parents having your child get dressed. Do not let them stay in pajamas all day. Um, you know, get them in the mindset that they're going, they're going to school um, is really important. And then having structure and a schedule for them. So sometimes teachers are supplying a schedule and, and taking more ownership of that with remote learning this year, which has been helpful for a lot of parents. But, you know, for some kids, they need more of that hands-on support to work through their schedule. Um, especially if they're a child that has difficulty attending on the computer, um, providing that structure can really help. And then um, one of the last areas that I always recommend to parents is looking at support and connection. Um, so that's really filling that emotional cup. Um, so we all, you know, need to get our cup filled with positive emotional experiences to feel successful. And part of that um, is a large part of that is from connection and support with the people around us. And so, um, you know, it's interesting because sometimes you can feel like you, you've been home all day with your family, but you haven't really interacted with them, right? Because you're in your, you're working, they're doing school, you're kind of all in your zones. So it's still very important at the end of the day or at different times when you have things, uh, moments in your day to connect with your children, check in with how they're doing, have conversations that it's not easy for you either. Show them that you're struggling and that's okay and this is what you're doing to work through it. Um, having time with families to, to talk about their, their feelings and how they're, they're responding to um, all these changes with COVID-19 I think is important because a lot of times children will think this is just happening to me. 
no one else is having these struggles. Mom and dad are doing just fine. Um, and we know that's not the case. We're, you know, we're not all doing just fine. We're all making adjustments and working hard to control our emotions and get through the day. Um, and then making time for, for self-care too. Um, you know, um, finding ways that your child can feel restored and re-energized. I always encourage parents to get outside with their children. I know it's been hot and I know in San Diego there's been fires and all these things, but um, the more you can get outside and, and find ways to connect away from the screens um, can be very, very uh, valuable. Awesome. I love how you broke those down into three main areas with the basic needs, which I think is so important. I actually talked with a psychologist it was probably a couple of years ago now, and she was mentioning to me that a lot of times she won't even work with students on deeper rooted challenges until she knows that they're sleeping enough, eating enough, because you can't tell the difference sometimes between yeah. something that's, you know, trauma or anxiety your depression and then not sleeping because you know, I love that the mental laundry that was awesome um and then step two or recap what you you called that part again was the le um, learning was like, yeah the space and structure and having Perfect. that learning environment set up yeah yeah which is so great because there is such a thing as state dependent learning you know when you get into that learning state like students usually anchor that to a classroom right they, they're used to okay this is the place that i learn and we're having to create that within our own homes now and i love that you mentioned getting dressed because that anchors that puts you into a state right then going to your workstation your your learning station that puts you into a state and if you can stay consistent with that and it builds a habit like you mentioned earlier the routines that that makes it so easy and then supports which i know we're going to go deeper into now um adding in the supports that that, that student needs specifically and paying attention to their individual needs i think is huge so say that a parent has done everything that they believe that they can within their own power and what they could do from home and things like that and they're still seeing that their student isn't quite in their quote-unquote normal state of learning or happiness or whatnot how would you recommend a parent to seek additional supports from there That's a really good question i think the more you can know about almost like what category of support you need the more you can kind of go down the right path more efficiently so um, the way I kind of I look at students' needs um, and the way we a lot of us look at student needs is looking at it, um, is it in a specific academic need for a child? Like, are they having specific difficulties with reading, writing, and math? Um, so like if a child's, if you're noticed, I noticed some parents have noticed their child's like reading aloud and they're like, wait, they're, um, you know, they're not saying words correctly, they're skipping words or their fluency or their comprehension is having... Um, some difficulty. So some parents are able to pinpoint it's a certain subject. And that's important to know, um, especially if um, that subject area is continuously challenging for that child, then we might be looking at a learning disability um, for that child, especially if they've, um, if you've been coordinating with their teacher, working on different ways to intervene and provide support in that area, and you're not seeing results. Um, and then, um, you know, there's a lot of great educational therapy and, um, there's assessment that can be done um, to uh, diagnose a learning disability as well, which can drive the intervention and educational therapy that would be recommended. Um, so that's one, one area. Um, and then another area would be um, executive functioning. And so, um, you know, I know you guys do a lot of support with executive functioning as well, um, but really knowing, um, you know, is it just kind of your child's inability to get started to start their day, or do they having a hard time monitoring their time, that time management or self-monitoring piece? 
Are they having a hard time remembering information of what they're supposed to do, organizing their materials? Um, are they having difficulty controlling their emotions or moving from one thing to another, transitioning? Um, those are kind of all things um, executive related to executive functioning. And, um, you know, if, if some of you listening aren't familiar with executive functioning, um, the, think about your brain as like an orchestra and executive functioning is like the conductor of your brain. Or if you want to think about your brain as a company, it's the CEO of the brain. So it's helping you navigate and do all these things throughout our day um, that help us go from one task to the next, remember what we're supposed to do, control our emotions, plan, organize, um, and, and, you know, really just navigate our day successfully. And if that's an area of concern, um, you know, there's assessment and intervention specific to executive functioning that I'm sure we'll get into in a, in a couple minutes um, that can be supportive. Um, and then the social emotional piece is, a, is another area that's um, pretty important. So if your child is having significant signs of anxiety or depression, um, or you're just seeing that they're just so... Um, lack of desire to be involved socially or they seem almost you know depressed because they haven't had that social interaction and you're seeing this emotional piece kind of take over their day-to-day -day life and it's impeding their ability to get schoolwork done to have um you know basic um conversations throughout the day or basic connections if they're if it's really impeding their ability to just navigate their life that would be when you would um, want to look for um, an assessment and then counseling as, as a piece to, to help support your child. And what's great is during this pandemic, there's a lot of, um, there's uh, virtual counseling as an option, which has been really helpful for students so that, you know, if they can't get to see a person, someone in person, there's that virtual piece. Awesome. I know that there is a, a lot of overlap in the academic and executive functioning Yes. pieces, especially, and of course, the social emotional learning pieces too. Um, I know that one thing we see a lot is like parents struggling to know, well, is my student struggling academically or executive functioning wise? For example, if like they can't focus, like that's a big one. A lot of parents think, oh, my student's not good at math when really it's, they, they could do the math if they could just focus long enough to do the math. But that's really more of an executive functioning challenge. Um, can you speak more to the assessment that would help parents to better identify whether it's an academic or an executive functioning challenge? challenge they really need to pay close attention to. Yes, and you're exactly right. They do overlap. So and any of these, any of those three areas can be happening in combination. And sometimes um, there are more than one thing going on and a child might have more than one diagnosis going on and that's comorbidity, having more than one diagnosis or disability that's impacting them. Um, and so when we're doing, when I'm doing an assessment, um, we call them usually a psychoeducational assessment where um, I look at a student's cognitive abilities, their executive functioning, and their academics, as well as their emotional abilities. And we look at, look at specifically what is going on. And so um, what is really nice about those assessments, it's able to tease out, is it a certain academic skill that that child is lacking that they need support and intervention in? Um, or is it they have the skill, which is shown in a one-to-one -one testing setting, like, for example, the example you gave, Jocelyn, if a child's having attention issues and, you know, um, they're tested in math, I test them in math and they're, they're average or above average in math, well, then we know it's not a math skill deficit. Um, but then when I look at executive functioning, we're seeing attention um, and organization and memory and all these things kind of popping, then we know it's more in that executive functioning realm. 
and that, um, you know, there's likely impact beyond just math because attention impacts a lot of different things. Um, so an assessment can really pinpoint what exactly is going on, where are the deficits, um, and then that lends itself to um, a diagnosis, which then drives intervention. Um, so uh, commonly with executive functioning deficits, um, you can have a child with ADHD. You can also have a child with a learning disability as well. Um, and so executive functioning can absolutely impact like reading comprehension, math problem solving, written expression. So it's, it's really good to get that information. So then you as a parent can feel empowered to know, okay, this is my child's diagnosis. This is the intervention that will be catered to, to the areas that they have of need to help them learn the tools to fill in those gaps where they're missing um, those tools. And then what's wonderful about intervention is once you start to see the results because you have an accurate assessment, um, everything starts to click. And then, you know, your child starts to feel more confident. They start to feel more successful. Learning isn't, you know, things that maybe they had more of a reaction, a negative reaction to in the past. Um, they start to build confidence and, and you see those behaviors subside and you see signs of success and positivity. And that's, that's what we want for all our children, right? We want them when they're struggling to get their needs identified and get them the intervention so they can navigate that stressor or that area of difficulty and, and find success on the other side. I love that you mentioned the word empower, to empower students from that point. I think assessments in the past, I know at least for me growing up, they almost got like a bad rap. Like, oh, if I have an assessment, I find something out that it means something's wrong with my child. When really it's not, it's just giving you that basic information that you need to know what the baseline is, where you're starting, so that you can actually plan some accurate or really effective interventions or supports that are actually going to get your student to where they need to go. I know uh, my family went through that with my younger sister. She's ADHD and on the spectrum and it took them a little while to get to the point where they finally did an assessment. But once they did, they were like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. She got the support that she needed. She was happy. They were happy. Everybody was really just thriving after that point because the right, the right supports were given. I love that you mentioned getting that assessment to empower your student. That's yeah. huge. And I think assessments are really just an amazing tool to know where you are and where you need to go. Like it just can be so helpful. So if you're saying, so, you know, say the student gets an assessment, they notice the different areas of need. What do you usually see is the indicators of like where, what would drive something for support from like executive functioning or coaching or educational therapy versus counseling or psychotherapy? Like how do those tend to differentiate? So it would really be looking at the outcomes and areas of impact. So if I'm seeing a child has academic impact and executive functioning deficits, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend more in the educational coaching uh, or the educational therapy, the executive functioning coaching. That intervention is going to be where um, I would drive families or recommend families look to because that's the area of need that we're seeing. Um, so, you know, that whether that's need for support in all academic areas or specific areas, and then that executive functioning piece, learning those, um, tools of how to navigate their day and learning specific things about task management, all those kind of things to help them, um, learn to be more efficient and to be more productive, um, in their learning environment. Um, sometimes with students, it's a combination. Sometimes we have students, uh, I have students with emotional needs that are so significant that they might have a diagnosis in 
um, anxiety or in depression or um, it may be um, more of a social emotional piece where we're looking at autism. Um, and so knowing that information, um, it may be a combination of interventions. Um, children with ADHD or autism often have executive functioning deficits and have um, social emotional needs that need to be met as well. So it might be a recommendation for executive functioning support, um, as well as counseling um, to help uh, that child learn to um, really one of the main components in counseling is looking at um, identifying your feelings, knowing what feelings are really a foundation of, of a knowledge of feelings, knowing how you feel about certain things, being able to identify stressors, being able to identify coping strategies, and then being able to marry all of that together into problem solving in real time. Um, and so a lot of times with counseling, it's building that groundwork and that understanding and then developing strategies. And then the hardest piece for all children in counseling or really any intervention is having it happen outside of that scheduled time, that service time. So that generalization piece. And so that's something um, I work with families on as well. Um, with counseling, I also do parent sessions um, incorporated into my counseling sessions because I can teach all, all the amazing, we can learn all the amazing coping strategies and tools and everything, but if there's nobody helping that child navigate in their day-to-day -day life, it's like it never happened. Um, so I found that, you know, in, incorporating parents and helping them know what we're learning, why we're learning it, how they can help reinforce that with their child has been um, one of the reasons that, um, you know, uh, parents have found my service helpful because they feel like they know what was being offered. They can help generalize it and find success. Yeah, that piece is huge. I think I've noticed a shift in families. I think especially with COVID, that's one of the, the bright sides I've seen is that parents are more involved. Like you mentioned, sometimes the parents are actually watching their kids do their academic work where they might not normally have the experience, the opportunity to, and noticing that, oh, they're having challenges in these ways. Um, yeah, that they're more involved. And I think this is the best time to start learning about that idea of generalization. I think a lot of times I've seen this at Club Excite a lot where a family will bring their student to us and say, okay, you do it. And really it's like well we're going to teach them but we're going to make sure that you're prepared to have the same tools so that you can make sure that you can bring those back to the home because that's really where the work is yeah. in home in wherever it is that they might be struggling is putting those tools to use and putting their newfound strategies and behaviors that they're building to use so generalization i think is huge and i love that you talked about the parent piece too because that's so big and can really relieve a lot of stress too i think on the parent side um, I know a lot of parents say they just don't know what to do. So when they actually have that guidance and support, that can really make a world of a difference. It's part of that empowerment too, right? That we were talking yeah. about earlier, like having everyone feel empowered because we're working as a team. And, um, you know, I think not just giving the students the intervention and knowledge, but making it accessible for parents, like you said, is just kind of makes everything come full circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, that making it a team effort too. Because yeah, it feels empowering when everybody has something that they can do. You know, if you don't yeah. know what you can do and you're sitting there feeling helpless, then that's challenging. But yeah. the student knows what they can do, the parent knows what they can do, and everybody can work together, then that makes a huge difference. Yeah, awesome. Well, do you have any just personal advice that you'd give families right now? I know you are a mother and you are experiencing the common challenges everybody's having right now. Um, just any personal or professional advice that you would give to families during this time? Yes. Um, so to parents, <laughs> I would definitely say, I know it feels impossible, but try to incorporate some element of self-care 
for yourselves. Um, I always tell parents, you can't pour from an empty cup. You can't, you know, fill your child's cup if yours is empty. So um, whether that's, you know, five or 10 minutes a day that you're doing something, maybe it's, you know, um, going for a walk, or maybe it's um, even just having quiet time in the morning or, um, you know, having a hot cup of coffee before everyone gets up. Maybe that's your self-care or, you know, just um, maybe it's, you know, some parents it might be, um, you know, taking a bath or reading a book or just anything you can do. Um, and it doesn't even have to be every day. Maybe it's um, just a couple times a week. Um, put it on your calendar is what I tell parents to do. Um, so then you'll actually do it. Um, I know we're all kind of bound by schedules and calendars. So um, I put self-care time on my calendar, which, you know, sounds silly, but if it's on my calendar, I'm more likely to follow it. It's a part of my schedule. Um, so that's something I, I just find so many parents are trying to do so much. And it's, it, this is not the way life's supposed to be, right? We're not supposed to be in this pandemic crisis state. So we're all doing way more than we're used to, way more than we should be able to do um, as humans on a day-to-day -day basis. So making sure that you feel like your needs are being met um, and it's not selfish taking away time from your child. It's, um, it's time you need to be a better parent. You'll feel calmer, more patient, and that'll go miles, um, you know, for, with your child versus, you know, that 15 minutes you're not with them when you're doing something for yourself. Um, so that's one of the things I always um, advocate with parents because I know we forget about ourselves and we're so focused on our children because that's what good parents do. They've put all their energy into their child, but we need ourselves to be ready as well. Um, another thing is, you know, just remembering the things we talked about, that back to basics is so important. Um, sleep and food and um, having the child feel, you know, comfortable um, is, is so important. And I think sometimes we forget um, how big of a factor those can be. Um, and then, you know, like I said, just making those opportunities to connect with your child. Um, you know, it can feel a little forced talking about feelings and you know, when you're modeling like difficulty you might've had in your day and how you worked through it, modeling self-talk, things like that um, can feel kind of, you know, forced at first when you start talking about it. But the more you make that a part of your routine, the more your child um, and you will feel comfortable and the more they'll want to reciprocate too. They'll want to talk about how they felt and how they navigated a problem. And then you have the opportunity to intervene. And, and you know, if they're talking about a problem and they're kind of talking about the way that they solved it, which maybe wouldn't be the way that you would want them to solve it. You have an opportunity to be like, hey, I wonder if next time you tried it this way, what might happen? And you have this open dialogue. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times as parents, we're caught up in this go, 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 and we forget to just stop and pause and, and reflect um, and, and have, have our children reflect with us, um, which is really where that emotional growth comes from and really where meaningful change comes from. Um, so making more of those moments, whether it's the dinner table conversation or um, a lot of times it's when I, um, I'm in the car with my son and we're going somewhere, we'll kind of have a, like a dialogue or um, those kind of things because he, he's, he's in his seat. He can't get away from me. He's in the car. So he's, he has to have those conversations. So, uh, you know, it's um, picking that time and being consistent, um, you know, and just being forgiving of yourself. This is a really hard time. We're going to make mistakes. Um, you know, and just doing the best you can and, and that's okay.
Yeah, I love that. I think giving yourself permission to be human right now is huge. I mean, as professionals, parents, everybody, like we just have to be like, okay, we're all experiencing this. We're all human. We're all doing the best that we can. And I love that you talked about self-care. We did an episode or interview a couple weeks ago, probably months ago now, about how energy influences child's behavior and how parents' energy influences that. And one, yeah, you need the self-care to have your own cup full to then give. But then also the kids are always paying attention. They're so receptive to how you're feeling, what energy you're putting off. They pick it up like nobody else. And so, yeah, having that cup full and having your energy high and on point can really support kids in being able to model and mirror you and take after you and build those habits within themselves too. So that's huge. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, Awesome. Well, this has been super informative and I think super helpful. I'm sure a lot of parents will find a lot of little golden nuggets in here, but are there any final thoughts or any final tips that you want to add? You know, I think we as parents, we know our children. And if you're having that feeling that something is wrong, um, reach out, you know, reach out to your child's teacher, reach out um, to, you know, um, to resources that can help you if you're interested in assessment. Um, and like I said, empower child learning. Um, I do assessments. I'm also, um, going to be launching into the virtual setting as well for assessments. I do virtual counseling currently. Um, but in the beginning of 2021, we're going to be, I'm going to be offering virtual assessments as well. Um, because that assessment can then lead to intervention, which I know Club Excite does. Um, in a few different realms. And so that's, you know, the next step too is, is reaching out um, to resources to see what's available and what um, information you can gather about your child to make an informed decision. Um, so with that assessment piece, that intervention piece, if you feel like something's wrong, you've tried your best, don't ignore that feeling that you need to do more. Um, and it, you don't need to do more by yourself. We ha- we're here, we have resources. Um, and we, and we want to help empower families so that you can know how to navigate, um, what your child needs and advocate for them and they can learn to advocate for themselves too. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I think every child deserves to live at their highest potential and it's just a matter of figuring out what they need and asking if you don't know, you know, I think a lot of parents probably don't even know that you do have a lot of resources at school and, you know, asking the teacher, figuring out what is available internally is always a good place to start. And if that doesn't get you very far, then just reach out to the community. I know Meredith, you're an amazing resource. Families can call you. Um, Definitely contact Club Excite. We've got a lot of resources internally and to refer out a lot as well, if we're not the right fit, but I think just asking and just booking free consultations here and there, wherever you can to get those answers is, is a very empowering place to start for sure. I totally agree. Yes. Yes. Take advantage of those resources. (laughs) Awesome. And I love that you're doing the virtual assessments too. I know we have some families that have been interested in those and that's going to be really exciting. Um, And where can people find you? What's your website? You have social media that they can find you at as well. Yes. So um, empowerchildlearning.com is the website. And um, I also am on uh, Empower Child Learnings on Instagram and Facebook as well. And then um, if you wanted to email, um, it's empowerchildlearning at gmail.com. And then I, like you mentioned, I like that you mentioned consultations because we do free, con- I do free consultations. So I'm always happy to meet. And, um, you know, like you said, I have, I have a wealth of resources. And if I don't have the resource um, within my company, I'm happy to um, refer out for, to people that do, we have a, have an ample referral list. Um, and so, um, yeah, those are multiple ways to, to get in touch. And, um, 
I'd be happy to hear more about your child and how I can help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Meredith. I know families, you can feel free to reach out to her directly or we'll be sharing some of her information as well. Um, whether you're listening to this on our podcast or on YouTube or getting it in an email, there should be some sort of links attached to it so you can check her out. Um, but feel free to let us know if you have questions. Meredith does work really closely with our families and we love to collaborate with her and making sure students get all the supports that they need. So if it's something of interest to you, please do it. Um, thank you, Meredith, again, for joining us and for providing your, your guidance and expertise. And we look forward to chatting with you soon. Thank you so much for having me. That was, this was yeah. great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions about Club Excite and the different ways we could potentially serve your student, Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can call us at 858-779-9674. You can send us an email at contact at exciteway.com. That's contact at E-X-C-I-T-E-W-A-Y.com. You can find us on social media platforms like facebook.com slash club excite or Instagram at club excite which is at C-L-U-B underscore X-C-I-T-E. And you can also visit our website, clubexcite.com. Thank you for listening.